everybody. I'm Connor. That's Doug. And welcome to the Bethel School District Presents podcast. Connor, let's kick things off with a very interesting dinner table conversation starter. And that is, if you could go back in time and have dinner with any person in history, who would it be and why? Easy peasy. The Beatles. <laughs> well, it's easy if you're cheating. That's four people, not one. Okay, Ringo Starr. Ringo's still alive, Connor. That does bring up a good point there, Doug. Maybe I want to have dinner with Ringo in the late 60s and swinging London. Maybe I want to have dinner with Neil Armstrong, which gives me the option of having a meal at his house or maybe eating something on the evening of July 20th, 1969, while we're spinning around the moon. Sipping tang all the way. I suppose that's true, but let's not get too complicated. You can't go back in time and tell someone something that's going to change the course of history. This is just a dinner to enjoy their company. That makes sense. You also have to take into account where that person is. For example, if you want to have dinner with Justin Bieber, you better be ready for some Canadian cuisine. Poutine! Bless you. Okay, with all that out of the way, Connor, what is your answer? Well, let me see. I think as a scribe, as a wordsmith, I'm going to have to go with your boy, Ernie Hemingway, Paris. 1922. I love it. What's on the menu? I don't know how much food's going to serve, but knowing Hemingway, there will be a few drinks. That is a really good answer, and it's a good thing you picked 1922 instead of 1937. I'm sure you're aware, but just so our listeners know, Hemingway had dinner at the White House with Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt and had what was sound like a terrible meal. Quote, we had rainwater soup followed by a rubber squab, a nice wilted salad, and a cake some admirer had sent in an enthusiastic but unskilled admirer, end quote, from your favorite Ernie Hemingway. Ouch. Yeah, I didn't know he was such a food critic. Joining us today is Bethel's resident history buff, none other than Superintendent Tom Siegel. We spoke to him about a lot of things happening in our community, but before we did that, we posed this same dinner question to him, and he had a pretty great answer. Well, I have to admit, I'm a student of history, and there are a large number of people that that would be a wonderful opportunity but I'd still have to go back to one of my favorite historical figures, and that would be Abraham Lincoln. The more you read about him, the more you realize how smart he was and how he's portrayed in movies and so on and so forth probably doesn't really get through to the extremely complex problems and solutions that he had to fashion. He was one smart individual and balanced a lot of competing issues and still got us through the Civil War, and that was an amazing feat. I'd have to say Abraham Lincoln. That's an excellent answer. Superintendent Tom Siegel, thank you for joining us again today. The Bethel area has been booming with new housing construction lately. Truth be told, there's even more on the way, including what they're calling high-density housing. Can you tell us about that growth and what it means as far as the number of students we can expect to see in our classrooms in the future? First of all, Bethel has been, during a time frame I've been here, a growth district. And it comes you know, in waves or in spurts, as you would expect as the economy expands and contracts and modifies and so on and so forth. But overall, in the 22 years I've been here, the number of people, the residents of the area have actually been growing at about... 1,900, almost 2,000 per year on average. We're going to have a spike. The latest demographic information we have indicates that we're going to have 20,000 more residents in seven years. In the year 2040, uh, which if I got my my math right, is 17 years from now, we're going to have an additional 51,000 new residents. That means we're going to have several thousands of more students. The area has been rezoned by Pierce County 
If you take a look at a map, the area north-south along B Street uh, and also east-west along 176th have areas that are now called uh, zones and neighborhood corridors. Those are high-density housing areas. In other words, you're going to have apartments or townhouses or it's going to be multi-storied housing of some sort or the other, whatever the developers want. And that's where most of the development's going to occur, uh, you know, north and south of uh, 176, several blocks in each direction. Same thing with B Street, basically off of Pacific Avenue uh, to B Street and even further to the east. And so these roads are going to receive tremendous uh, amount of growth. We're going to have to have more schools. We're going to have more kids. Bottom line is there's going to be a massive growth of residents coming here. And we, as a school district, have to be ready to accommodate them, which does mean we're going to have to have another bond in order to be able to build several new schools to accommodate these kids that are coming. And bonds are the way that our state does fund new school construction, and so there will be another bond. There's always going to be another bond unless that changes somehow. Now, we just passed a bond in 2019. There has been a lot of construction going on in our district, New Challenger High School, the new Catherine G. Johnson Elementary School, and we were recently at the ribbon cutting for the new Elementary 19 out in the former La Poma Firs golf course. So there's a lot going on here. And construction these days is a little more difficult than it was when we last had a bond, which was in 2006. Talk to us about some of those delays and uh, issues that we're seeing. Well, uh, COVID-19 is the gift that keeps on giving, including in the supply chain that our contractors are reliant upon. They have experienced delays in simply getting basic things. As an example, there's, uh, we're upgrading one of the intersections near Catherine G. Johnson, and even the light poles have been backordered for over a year. Exactly, and even the new Natchez Trail Elementary with that one-month delay that they had before their school started, that part was ordered a year ahead of time. We're doing our due diligence when it comes to planning and forward thinking as much as we can, and we're just, we still run into these issues. It's going to be a long-term problem, I think. I agree. I think it's going to take another probably two years before the supply chain uh, burbles and bumps and shortages finally work themselves out and into a more normal flow. It's just uh, kind of remarkable these things are going on. And uh, yeah, we've experienced it in uh, all the construction, frankly, that we faced. And what's remarkable is our team of, uh, over the construction department have done a marvelous job of trying to figure out ways to work around the issues and still provide a really high quality building within the budget parameters that they have. And they've done a great job. So it's just something beyond their control and something we end up living with. I would like to go back to talk about one other thing, because you talked about bonds. Sure. And I do want to thank the uh, the voters who voted for the 2019 bond that allowed us to do the construction that currently is underway and that we will be continuing to work through, because it's a long list of items that needed to be taken care of. One of the issues the state needs to fix is that this state uh, is kind of unique and it requires 60% of the voters to vote yes before a bond can pass. That is really a tall order. That's a really high bar. And as a result, because of repeated failures to pass bonds, things get crammed to the point where crowding occurs and buildings deteriorate. That's not a good environment for our kids. And major repairs that need to be done to make sure our buildings are safe and healthy have to be deferred because we don't have enough money otherwise to be able to do the jobs. What I'm saying is basically the state legislature needs to allow the voters of the state to decide whether they want to go back to the simple majority, the 50% plus one requirement for bonds. That's the way it was set up back when this 
state was organized in the, the original Constitution, and the 60% only occurred as a result of the Depression and World War II when the locals were afraid that all the new folks coming into the state for the wartime jobs would vote yes for school construction and then at the end of the war leave and leave their, the tax bills to the locals. That didn't happen, but we're still suffering as a result of that action taken back in the 1940s. Levies were 60% there for a while too. That changed, but the bonds still remain 60%. And that's a high hurdle for anybody to get over. We were talking about supply chain issues, and we haven't encountered any supply chain issues with the new Bethel High School, but talk about delays. This has been a project that's been going on since 2009 when we first got the land. Talk to us a little bit about that project. People are very interested when we're going to break ground. Give us a little history and tell us where we are now. Well, you're right. It's been a long journey. And if things go well, and if we're able to open up on 2026, it will have been a 17-year journey from the time we bought the first piece of property. Right now, we're in the permitting process, which is complex. There are numerous phases. There are a number of steps that have to be taken, a chance for people to comment. The piece of property is complex from the standpoint of the hydrology of the area. It's at the headwaters of a Class One federal waterway, Muck Creek, and as a result, there are unique rules that apply. So we've done a very extensive and thorough investigation of the requirements for groundwater in particular and have employed the most knowledgeable people in the state and probably in the nation to do analysis of that and provide the solutions to ensure that all standards are met. So we've done our part to make sure that we are good stewards of the land and water, in this case, and uh, bring this uh, piece of property online. The game plan is, if permitting allows, we'll have that building open in 2026. If not, it may scoot down a year, but it is uh, still on track. And we've posted online the fly-throughs of the building. There's a lot of the design work is already done. We, we know what the building will look like. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be room for Pierce College to be in that building, which is good too. And if you're interested in more and what Bethel's doing about college and career readiness, go ahead and listen to last week's show. Now, as we build new schools and plan for future growth, one would assume Pierce County is adding resources to our area. We t- skated around this a little bit earlier to support all the new folks moving here. You said many times that's not the case. Can you elaborate? and give us a little more detail on what is needed in this area that other areas are getting in Pierce County. Basically, we need everything. Uh, we don't have our fair share. Just the total number of residents within the boundaries of Bethel School District, over 125,000 people, which is about 13.1% of the county's population. So if you assume that everything were to be parceled out on proportionality, we should be getting 13.1% of the resources. That is not the case. And that's been the way it's been for not as decades, but generations. And then there are other things that are important out there too, you know, Boys and Girls Club, YMCAs, swimming pool. None of those things exist here. And there are numerous other locations for those family and child student support centers, but we don't have them. This is a desert from the standpoint of resources for kids and for families and, frankly, for county-based resources that should exist here. And Bethel has done a lot to help bring those resources here. Our work with community health care at Bethel Middle School and soon at Spanaway Middle School and at Graham Capowson High School opening very soon, if not open already by the time this airs, Community Health Care Center out there as part of that building. And then we talked about before Pierce College at two of our schools, soon to be three. 
a lot of work done by our district to help our families, and that is a really good thing, but we do need more. So let's play a little game, if you will. We're going to paint a mental picture for our listeners. So listeners out there, I want you to think of a dartboard, and we're going to pretend the dartboard is a very circular Pierce County. We're going to put Bethel as the bullseye. So the 13% of Pierce County residents are in the bullseye. Tom, I'm going to give you 251 darts. Those represent the miles of service for Pierce Transit buses in Pierce County. So you're going to throw 251 darts. How many of those darts, representing miles, are going to hit the bullseye here in Bethel? Three. That's it. It's uh, absurd. Well, you know, less than 1% of the total Pierce Transit routes are in Bethel. There is something called the South Pierce County Multimodal Transportation Study, and the draft indicates that there needs to be a route on 176th, and it should be at least optional or on-call for Meridian, Canyon, and 224th, I believe, are the other areas. The fact of the matter is, about a dozen years ago, we actually had bus service out here, and it got cut. But it's time to add the service back on. We have thousands of more residents here than that we had at the time the, the service was cut. And as I mentioned before, we're, we're going to have 51,000 more people here. And especially on 176, I mean, that's a no-brainer. 176 is where the growth is going to occur to a very large extent. There needs to be public transit. Pierce Transit is the provider. They need to add that route back on really soon, in my opinion. Agreed. Now let's face the dartboard one more time. I'm going to give you 171 darts this time. These represent public parks in Pierce County. So how many of these 171 darts hit the bullseye here in Bethel? So the answer is, again, three. We have three regional parks. They're all kind of in the northern tier of the district. You have Sprinker and then Cross and then Frontier, and they're all specialty parks. Interestingly, none of them can really be walked to at least safely. I mean, I I can't imagine trying to walk to Frontier Park. And even over to Sprinker, you have to run across Pacific Avenue. So these are specialty parks for the ice skating rink or the horse venues or for the county fair. And they're not set up for the average kid in the average family to just have a place to go recreate on the average day that's within walking distance. So, yeah, three parks out of 171, uh, I can't even think, it's like, what, 2% something or other? That's higher math. I'm going to let Connor do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll let him him calculate that one, too. But the, the bottom line is we don't have anywhere near the public parks, places for our kids to go play. We do have the playgrounds at our schools, and we offer up all of our ball fields for organizations like Bethel Recreation. But there is a need for Pierce Park and Rec to come and build parks here, and we're willing partners. We have land that we've identified to them that could be used uh, for dual purposes, both for the school district and for the greater community. There's just a huge need out here, and there's virtually nothing provided by Pierce County for, for adult or student recreation. And Cross Park is one of those newer parks. And also when we were at the ribbon cutting for Elementary 19, they mentioned there's a lot of green space there that's being built into that area. So there's a park area for the families that live there. And that's going to be a walking school with sidewalks. And that's going to be fantastic. Now, we're not going to throw darts for sidewalks, but about 9% of our roads have sidewalks. I couldn't really figure out how to make that work with the dartboard. But we do have one more dartboard game. I'm going to give you 23 darts. Those represent all the pools in Pierce County. And I'm going to make it a bigger target this time. The whole dartboard is Bethel. So 23 darts. Can you hit the dartboard with these pool darts? No. We have no pools, no swimming pools, no places for kids to learn how to swim, nor to recreate, nor to have a swim team. I mean, even Eatonville has a swimming pool. 
Uh, all the other ones are located up to the north. It's something that really is needed here in Bethel. It could be a, a joint venture with somebody, uh, the county or somebody. And I personally believe, having grown up in a community in northern Minnesota, but they had an outdoor swimming pool. And that was the point where during the summer, kids went to learn to swim, in that case with the Y classes. And that was the place that kids went to and families to enjoy during the summer. And it was an outdoor pool in northern Minnesota. So the options are available. I mean, if people in northern Minnesota can have an outdoor pool for use during the summer, we should be able to have something here and have an opportunity for kids to learn how to swim. Now, I have seen the surveys provided by the health department. We have a significant number of kids that do not know how to swim. I personally think this one resource would change the nature of this community and make the feeling of community stronger than anything else we could possibly do. Okay, well, we're going to let Connor clean up all the darts here that we've left on the wall and on the floor. Um, but obviously, there's a problem with equity and access. Just thinking back to when we had pools on our bonds and those ones didn't pass, but we were talking to the, the swim kids. We do have swim teams here, and they commute to either Eatonville or PLU or other destinations so they can get their laps in and be competitive in those sports. But we do have those issues of access for folks that live here in Bethel. What can our listeners do about it? How can people get involved? The residents in this area need to get politically involved, and I know that just that very term will turn some people off, the idea of somehow being political, but that's what's needed. Our elected politicians are the ones that control funds for things like these items that we've been talking about. They need to know that there is a significant number of people in this community who are politically active. That means they will communicate with the politicians and that they vote. That is probably the key to getting politicians' attention and then eventually resources will finally flow to this area to compensate for the huge lack of resources here now and hopefully flow enough to actually compensate for the future population growth that we're going to experience and are currently experiencing. I drove around, had the chance to drive around the district just in the last two weeks, and it's amazing what's being built. There's a just a short distance from where we're, we're doing this recording, there's a low-income housing complex with 264 units being built, and that's going to be operational with people using those facilities in July coming up. So growth is here, and it's going to just continue to accelerate. And it's time for the local residents to educate themselves, get involved, talk to the politicians, and let them know there's needs out here that are unmet, and they, we need to have simply our fair share simply having our fair share would be a first. Absolutely. And when we say get politically involved, we're not talking about campaigning for a specific person running for office. We're talking about talking to the folks that are in charge right now. Don't wait for your guy or gal to get elected. Talk to the person that represents you right now and let them know what you're thinking. And it's easier than ever. You don't have to sit down and compose a letter, send them an email, send them a tweet, or are they called tweets anymore? <laughs> I think there's a new name for it, but any form of electronic communication is good or an old-fashioned phone call to their office will work too. That's true. And that gets attention even more than than some of the electronic stuff, I think, hearing from constituents. I'm sure you hear from constituents quite frequently as superintendent. Oh, upon occasion, yes, that's for sure. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Superintendent Tom Siegel, thank you again for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. Great interview, Doug. Always a pleasure to hear from Superintendent Siegel, but I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. 
I'm gonna ask you the same question. If you could go back in time and have a meal with any historical figure, who would you pick when and where? That's an easy one for me. I'd venture back to 1931 Hollywood, California, and I would be at Musso and Frank's Grill with one Charlie Chaplin. In 1931, he had just finished City Lights, which he released as a silent film, even though Hollywood had converted to talking pictures at the time. I would want to talk to him about that big change in his career in film. That's a good answer, Doug. I have to admit, though, I have actually never seen a Charlie Chaplin movie. The only Charlie I recognize is Sheen. Well, when you're done rewatching Hot Shots Part Duh, for the 40th time. Come see me. I'll lend you some DVDs. It's a DVD. I'm a millennial.